Well, good morning, everyone. My name is Pastor Justin. I'm the, the lead pastor here at New Life, and uh, so glad that, uh, that you're here with us today. We're in a sermon series that uh, I think this is like week five now, um, entitled One Another. And um, we've essentially been studying all of the upwards of 100 one another's that are mentioned in the New Testament. And um, each one of these really kind of helps us define what a church-like family should look like. And so we've already talked about loving one another, encourage one another, forgive one another, be compassionate to one another. And today we're discussing, um, really, it's kind of a little controversial, to be honest, and we'll get into it. It's It's a bit of a rocky road, but this whole idea of carrying one another's burdens carry one another's burdens. And um, we're going to actually start at the last verse of Galatians chapter 5 and then go into a few verses in Galatians chapter 6 and um, see what it is that the Lord has for us today. So if you'd, if you'd stand with me uh, as we honor the reading of God's word, I would really appreciate that. Um, God has some things to say. I, I truly believe that this, this, this one another can change the way that we view coming alongside and helping and carrying one another's burdens. Yeah. The Lord's really been speaking to me about this one. So it starts on verse 26 in chapter 5. Let us not become conceited, provoking, and envying each other. Brothers and sisters, if someone is caught in a sin, you who live by the Spirit should restore that person gently. But watch yourselves, or, also, or you also may be tempted. Carry each other's burdens And in this way, you will fulfill the law of Christ. If anyone thinks that they are something when they're not, they deceive themselves. Each one should test their own actions. Then they can take pride in themselves alone without comparing themselves to someone else. For each one should carry their own load. Lord Jesus, I, I thank you for your word. I thank you that it, it changes hearts. I thank you that we, when we are confronted with it and we honor it, Lord, that that's not just, um, it's not just words on a page, but it is life to us, that it quickens in our spirits the actual ability to follow it. And so, Lord, we just ask as you open up your word to us, whether we like it or not um, isn't really the, the choice. Lord, we choose to walk in obedience to who you call us to be, knowing that it is for our eventual good. And so, Lord, uh, we, we just relinquish that over to you. We surrender to you today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. You can be seated. Thanks. Um, I want to just take some time and walk down through this together. In uh, Galatians chapter 5, before you get to verse 26, I want you to just kind of understand what Paul was just talking about. And you can, you can read it on your own time, but essentially he just outlines two different lists of, um, of actions. Essentially, he outlines the acts of the flesh or the, the sinful desires of kind of like our old man, our old self that like come out, um, that come out of us at times. And then there's the life in the spirit. There's the fruit of the spirit. And so he says this in Galatians 5 verse 19. He outlines the acts of the flesh and he's very just out there with it. He just says the, the acts of the flesh are obvious. Sexual immorality, impurity, and debauchery. Uh, idolatry and witchcraft, hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissensions, factions, and envy, drunkenness, orgies, and the like. It kind of covers all of it, covers all of the stuff that either I've done or thought of or would ever think of. He, he covers a lot of this stuff, and he says, and then he outlines what the fruit of the Spirit are. He says, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, or forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such there is no law. And so he takes these two lists, and he kind of juxtaposes these two lists together to show us the obvious difference between the things that come out of us that are like our own desires. When we're led by our own desires, this is what comes out of us. And then, and then this is the stuff that comes out of us when we're led by the Spirit. And they were vastly different. There's like the stuff that I can do in my own flesh, and that was, we can see what that amounts to. And then there's the stuff that when we're led by the Spirit, the things that come out of us. And then he concludes in verse 26 with a really odd statement. He says this, Let us not become conceited, provoking, and envying each other. It's almost like in, in light of 
putting out these two lists before us, it's almost like he knows what we're thinking. Like he knows that, that as we look at these two lists, one of like the horrible things that you've thought about or you've done, and then there's the list of like love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control, like all the good things. Like our tendency is to take these two lists and, and we use them in order to compare ourselves to people around us. So our tendency is this, that we look to our left and we look to our right and we gauge how we're doing based upon how everyone else around us is doing, right? So I look at you and I'm like, well, I'm, I'm doing better than this guy. I may not be doing as, as good as this lady, but like, that's okay because I've got a, a, some other people that aren't doing as well as me. And so I'm, I'm kind of gauging how well I'm doing in this whole like Christian walk thing uh, based upon how everyone else around me is doing. And I would argue that it is this very mindset, this kind of comparison mindset that has led to the erosion of morals and virtue and ethics in the American church today. It's this idea that like, I don't necessarily have to hold up the word of God as the standard, but I can hold up my brother or my sister or push them down rather than hold them up as the standard. So as long as I'm doing better than this guy and maybe I'm trying, but I'm not quite there with, with this lady, then therefore I'm doing okay. And what it does is it causes us to have this hyper-focus on the grace of God, which is, which is amazing and awesome and absolutely grace upon grace upon grace, but it also causes us to possibly neglect our obedience to God and holy living. Because it's like, well, well God, God's going to forgive me in grace and grace and grace, and so I just, I'll do what I want, I'll do what I think is right in my own eyes, rather than holding up the, the word of God as my standard. God, what do you say? What do you say about my life? And he shows us these three ditches that we, that we fall into when we compare ourselves. And, and he outlines them in verse 26. He says, be careful. Don't be conceited. Don't be provoking. And don't be envying. These three things that he's warning us. And I, I want to I walk through these really quickly because I think it's important for us to realize when Paul gives us a warning to not fall into a ditch, we should probably know what he's talking about, right? So he says, the first thing, he says, don't be conceited. How do we get conceited? Well, that's when you look to your left and you look to your right and you think, I can beat you. I, 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 I'm comparing myself, but, but I, know, I, I know that I could beat you. Like, I, I th I'm better than you. Like, I, I do better things than you. This is where we get that kind of like spiritual superiority complex. I know no one has ever seen this before, but like where, where people kind of lord their holiness over other people as if it's a merit badge. Like, I'm further along than you, I'm more mature than you, and in essence, we look at people that are less mature in the faith as less than, and just, you're just kind of helping me out in, as, as I compare myself, so I know that I'm doing good. But if we're really honest, it's really easy to find people who are doing worse than we are. It's really easy. In fact, we're, we're usually pretty good at it. We can just look and be like, man, at least I'm not doing that. I mean, they do this, 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 and this, and this, and I know all the junk on them, and I haven't done any of that lately. And so, like, therefore, I'm, I, I'm, I'm conceited. And so a spiritually conceited person will find that there is no one that's doing good enough to speak into my life. Because I'm all good. I got this. I know the scripture. I can... Hang, hang my hat on it, and I, I got all this thing, and nobody is really doing good enough to be able to speak into my life to call out my, my own blind spots in my own life. This is what Paul is warning us against. He does, don't be conceited. And sometimes we'll even get into relationships with people that, that, that need help or are a mess, not because we want to pull them up out of it, but because we want to be needed and admired. You catch that? <laughs> quiet in here. So this is like, this is what, uh, this is what don't be conceited looks like. And then he says, the second thing, he says, don't be provoking. This is when you look to your left and you look to your right and you think to yourself, you wouldn't say it out loud, but you think to yourself, I can beat you and I want you to know it. Like, I want you to say it. I want you to notice and I want you to be able to, to, to say it to me. And this is where we, in all humbleness, put our, our ease of spiritual goodness on, on display. Where we're like, don't hate me because I'm good looking and I'm, and, and, and I'm godly and I'm loving and I'm smart and I have a perfect life. It's not my fault that I'm hashtag blessed, right? Like, it is not my fault. You just, your haters gonna hate and don't hate me because I have a perfect life. Like, and this is where we refuse to help somebody up out of the place that they're in 
because that means that we might fall off of the pedestal that we're trying so hard to stand on. I'm going to move on so you can just you can relax. So there's this provoking thing. I, I, I know I can beat you and I want you to know it. And then he says, uh, envying. He says, don't, don't envy. Don't, don't get into this kind of like spiritual envying thing. This is when you look to your left and you look to your right and this is what you think. I cannot beat you and I hate you for it. <laughs> I, 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 can't, I can't be smart enough. I don't know my scripture enough. I, 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 I've done too many bad things to make up for and you, you I can't beat you. I'm not, I'm not good enough and, and I hate you for it. I don't, I don't want to be around you. And what this does, it makes us feel stuck and paralyzed spiritually. Why? Because we're so busy looking to our left and looking to our right and comparing ourselves and feeling completely useless. Because I, I can't ever be that with this perfect and this family and this thing. And so I just give up. Why? Because we're comparing ourselves and looking and saying, well, this is how I must be doing based upon how the people around me are doing. And so Paul warns us. He's like, he's like don't fall into this stuff. Don't fall into being conceited. Don't fall into provoking. Don't fall into envying. And he warns us. He's pretty much saying this. Be careful that you don't go into every relationship with this thought. How do you make me feel? Like, what are you going to do for me? How, how are you or not making, or maybe you are or you are not making me feel about myself? He warns us to not use people like that in our attempt to try to make our way up some sort of a ladder, spiritually speaking. So he gives us this warning and it's kind of sobering. Like, you don't, don't be these three things. And then he, he's like, guard yourself against this. And then he gives us a practical example of what living by the Spirit looks like. He, he start, and it starts out really good. Like in verse 1, chapter 6, we're going to read it. Like, it starts out really good. Why? Because he's talking about other people. My favorite scriptures are when he's talking about other people. I don't know about you. Like, I don't like the scriptures when he's pointing at me. I like to be like, woohoo, just miss me. You know, I just said, I was coming to me and I was like, I'm too fast for you, Jesus. And so like, that was for my wife. You know, that was for my friend. I'm going to send this. Can we still make CDs so I can send that to someone that needs to hear this message? Like, I, I don't like the scriptures that are about me. I like it when it's about somebody else. And so verse one, he starts out really good. I, I'm, on, I'm all on board with Paul because he says this. Let me just read just this first portion. He says, brothers and sisters, if someone is caught in a sin, okay, this is awesome already. Why? Because he's not talking about me. He's talking about somebody else. I'm like, and, and if we're going to be really honest, like, this is the dark parts of our, of our soul, and I'm just going to admit it. But when somebody is else, not any of you, but somebody else is caught in a sin, we let out a little exhale, like, whew, it wasn't me. It's pretty good right? It's, it's good news, right? Because that means that the heat is not on me. When the heat's on somebody else, the heat's not on me. And so there's a little bit of this exhale of like, whew, I was a little close. I, this, this is good news for me. And if we're not careful, where that takes us is that, well, the Bible says that we're supposed to mourn with those who mourn and that we're supposed to, you know, be, have, have joy and celebrate with those who celebrate. But if we're not careful, there's this small part of us that will begin to celebrate someone else's struggle and, and, and minimize someone else's victories. Why? Because it always has to do with me. And so we hear this, that someone is caught in a sin, and it sounds salacious. And it's not about me, so give me more detail. I want to know. And I want you to understand that when, when we talk about this whole like word caught, this, this word in, in, in the Greek, it's not, like, it's not like you caught, like you're a sin detective and you're like, gotcha, ha, ha, ha. You know, caught them. You know, you got them by the nape of the neck and you're like, yeah, I saw them, I caught them. They're guilty, right? They, they were caught in the very act of sin. That's not what this word means. Essentially, this word, when we talk about someone who is caught in sin, we're saying that the sin has entangled them and that they are being overcome by it. It's essentially this idea, if you can get a, a picture of this, it's this idea of someone drowning, like a brother or sister drowning, surprised, caught off guard, swept away by the tide, like they didn't plan it necessarily, but they're caught 
in sin. It changes the way that we read this. And he continues in verse 1. He says, you who live by the Spirit, that's all of you, right? You who live by the Spirit should restore that person gently. And this is, this is where I begin to have a problem because um, it happened really quick, right? We just got like a few words in and I'm already having a problem with this because I thought that we were talking about um, someone else falling into sin. I, I don't understand what someone else drowning in sin has to do with me, right? In fact, you can, you can read ahead, and we already did, that this is really the last time that Paul talks about this, this other brother or sister that was caught in this sin. He, doesn't, he, he literally starts out this whole story in verse 1. He's like, okay, so guys, listen. When a brother or sister is caught in sin, and then he starts, and he ends there, and he begins this, this talk for the next like six verses, and he doesn't even talk about them anymore. He's talking about me. Like, he's talking about you, and, I, and it angers me a little, a lot. It angers me because I'm like, I thought we were talking about what they did wrong, how I can, you know, discipline them, and how they know that they're a dirty, rotten scoundrel, and that I'm better than them, but let's not talk about it, but if they want to say it and admit it, that's fine. Like, but the, I want to know more details. Like, you just tell me this guy was caught in sin, and you didn't tell me what was his sin, how many times did he do it, do I sin in that same way? Because if he does, it'll change the way that I interact with him. Um, and then, you know, has he asked for help? Nothing. Nothing. Doesn't give us any context, doesn't give us any qualification, doesn't give a, a, a dossier on this guy's, you know, uh, people that he hung out with or any, we, don't, we get no information about him. It's as if the Apostle Paul seems to be communicating that when dealing with another person's sin, it has more to do with our heart than with their sin. It's as if God is really concerned about our hearts than with what they did. Because, because he knows that nothing reveals our heart more than how we treat other people. We can say one thing, but how we actually treat others reveals what's really going on in our own heart. And this is uncomfortable as Paul starts talking about this. He just simply says, if a brother or sister has you know, been caught in sin, restore them. No more details, no more information, nothing. And I want you to understand this word restore. This word restore is, it has this essence, this meaning of like a fisherman repairing a torn net, like a hole in a net that needs to be mended, that needs to be fixed. So it's this idea of restoring is mending a net so that it no longer has a hole in it. Or it has this idea of, uh, of a doctor setting a bone, a broken bone in place restoration. That's essentially what, what this word, the connotation is of this word. And I wrote in your notes today, it's this, that restoration means to make adjustments that build up and cause a person to become what they ought to be. Restoration is, is you and I and them making adjustments that build up and cause a person to become what they ought to be. Let me remind you, sin is a thief. Satan comes to steal, kill, and to destroy. And you, brother and sister in Christ, you play a role in mending and building and repairing and setting straight so that someone can become what they ought to be. There's this role in the body of Christ when we're talking about these one another's, this there's this role that we play that is kind of awkward and sticky and overwhelming at times, but we play a role in restoring people. So when you're confronted with someone else's mess, I, I don't know about you, I get, very, I get very preoccupied with their sin, what they did, how many times, and they get caught, but God seems very preoccupied with your heart, how you approach people. And part of this comes out of a fear. Like, you know, whenever we, we talk about restoration in churches, it gets a little jiggy. And um, 
because we have this idea that restoration means that, okay, somebody sins and now I just act like everything's fine. <laughs> it's okay. It's all forgiven under the blood of Jesus, right? Like, it's okay. Like, who am I? Who am I to condemn thee? You know, like we start talking weird. And like, we say things like, you know, I, 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 can't, I can't hold that against you. And so we think, well, let's just put them back into leadership. Let's give them a microphone. Let's put them back into ministry. And, and that is not what we're talking about here. Restoration, essentially, is to mend a hole to make an adjustment, to set a bone in place so that people can become what they ought to be. But let's not forget that restoration is always at the heart of God for everyone. Whether they have never come to faith in Jesus, God wants to restore them. Whether they've walked away and sinned, God wants to restore them. That is always at the heart of God in any and all situations for anyone. But what about the person who, like, has did that God wants to restore them? What, what about you? God wants to restore you. Well, I've done, you don't know what I've done, and I, I've done this, and I'm too far. God wants to restore you. It is at his heart for every single person, every single person that he's created. It's always at his heart. And so restoring someone is not minimizing their sin. It's not saying, oh, everything's okay, and we're just going to act like it didn't happen. Sometimes it is actually acknowledging the fact that there is brokenness and choosing to set it right. There's a, acknowledging the fact like you've got a gaping wound, a hole here, and we, you need help to mend it. Restoration. And then he tells us to do it gently. Gently. I, I got this picture because I'm like, Everyone sees that word gentle is very different. Some people, you know, you think you're gentle and people are like, my gosh, you're like a bear to be around, right? And you're like, oh, I was actually being nice to you, right? And so like you, you get this idea that like the kindness and gentleness are kind of this subjective thing. And so I was, I was getting this, like, this idea of like, a, if you've ever gone fishing, maybe you've gone fishing with kids before and when you, uh, you, you, you catch a fish and it's got a hook in its mouth, there's like a bunch of different ways to get the hook out. So <laughs> there's the... And I don't know, maybe people think this is gentle, but it's certainly not. You step on the fish, and then you just start pulling. And something will give way. Right? Lip, uh, the, 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 it'll break. Um, the, it will come out. One way or another, something will happen, right? Uh, it's not nice, and it's probably not gentle, and it probably maim them and kill them, right? But that's one way to get your hook out. You just keep pulling, and something will happen. Um, the second way is you can just decide, oh my gosh, I don't want to touch those icky wormies and, and, the, and the sharpie, sharpie things, and so I'm just going to cut the line and then let them go. And then they, you realize that you have essentially, for the rest of the, that, that fish's days, he will always have a hook in his lip. And then there's the third way, which is where you, you take the fish and you, and you hold it firmly, and it's, and it's a little more intense, and you got to really get in there, but you just start wiggling that, and sometimes you even got to push it in a little bit further to get that sucker out, and then you finally are able to bring freedom to that fish, right? Now, it may hurt. It doesn't mean that there's no hurt. Gently doesn't mean that, that it, there, there is no pain. Sometimes it means that you have to bring a little pain in order to bring freedom, and I think it's important for us to realize that when he says restore people gently, it doesn't mean this mamby-pamby like, oh, I don't want to hurt your feelings and I'm so sorry that I don't, want, you know, I don't want to offend you. Sometimes it means that you do bring pain to bring freedom. But you do it gently. Gentleness does not mean that you don't speak truth to someone. Sometimes it means that you speak the truth in love. Always speak the truth in love. Because there, how many of you know there's... A, there's there's a way to be right and still be wrong. You ever found that before? Where there's a, there's a way to have right doctrine and a wrong heart? <laughs> have you ever had somebody confront you with something? And man, they're right. I mean, they caught you. Like it's, yeah, it's something to be changed, right? But, but wrong heart. There's no gentleness there. There's no compassion there. It's just, they just want to catch you in something. And, and so when you, when you as, a, as a follower of Jesus, when you restore or you rebuke or you correct or you help someone, compassion and gentleness better be the driver in that. Like you're doing it wrong if it doesn't come out of a heart of gentleness and compassion with God's heart and mind of restoration for each and every single person. That's difficult. 
And he continues in verse 1. He says this again. He says, but watch yourselves, or you also may be tempted. And so, again, I don't know why Paul keeps talking about me. Like, yeah, I don't, I don't understand. I thought this was going to be about that hot mess of a person and how um, I'm supposed to discipline them and cut them off and send them away and disfellowship them. And I thought that's what this was going to be about because he starts talking about somebody, you know, caught in sin, and yet he keeps keeping the focus squarely on me, the one who hasn't sinned, the perfect one, the one who, who, who is the spiritual one, I mean, he said it, you who are spiritual, that'd be me, right? Like, I don't understand why you keep talking about my attitude and my heart towards other people. Like, why don't you talk more about this dude that committed sin? He's the one that's the screw-up. And yet Paul just introduces him and then continues to talk more about me and this question of, like, what does someone else's sin have to do with me? And the reality is, is that your sin does affect me. It does. We think that it's all kind of done in, in a box, but the reality is there's ripple effects that go far beyond ourselves. Your sin does affect me. And sometimes, well, most times, what I find in the church, is I'm a part of this thing, right? I find that we're not really good at handling other people's messes. And let's be honest, some people make a lot of messes, and we're just kind of, we don't really know what to do with them. Like, um, if, you, if you know me at all, I'm, I can be a little type A, and uh, I'm particular about a few things, just some. You know how we all are particular about a couple things. And so one of the things that, um, when I think of messes, that really lights me up is when I'm at dinner and I'm with my family and somebody spills milk on the table. I lose it. Like, I, I don't, it's just milk. You could spill water all day, and I'd be like, just water. But there's this sense of like, oh, gosh, it's going to spoil. And it's going to like get all over the place, and it gets in the crease of the table, and it's on the floor. And how do you get it up? You can't squat it. It's going to be there. The milk, you can't see it, too, and it's, but it's there. And, and then it's like, gets on things, and it's sticky, and it's gross. It's disgusting. And so I flip out. My, my kids, they always joke around because if I, they spill milk, they're like, oh, dad's going to flip. And me flipping out is like this. And my family's like, Dad, quit freaking out. I'm like, I said nothing. <laughs> said nothing. But they're like, but we can feel your judging eyes, right? Like, they know. They know for some reason. And don't judge me because you got your stuff. You're crazy too. Like, you got your own stuff. Like, there's something about, and when people make that mess, and I don't know what to do with them. So I'm literally like, oh, I don't even know. I'm just going to sit here. I'm not going to look. And the kids are like scrambling, trying to find like, you know, towels. And they're just like mopping it up. And I'm just like, just clean it up. Just, just clean it up. I don't want to see it. I don't want to talk about it. It ruins my dinner. I want to flip tables. Like, I'm just... Uh, it's my thing. I'm sweating, literally just thinking about it. I'm weird, I know. Okay, it's okay. But historically, here's my point. Historically, the church, the American church specifically, because that's what we have the most contact with, is that when people get wounded, uh, we, we, we shoot them rather than restore them because we don't know what to do. So we have someone that's like, oh my, can you help me? I, I need help. You're welcome. You don't need help anymore. Oh, right? And like, we think like that's the answer. It's like, uh, you know, somebody screws up, they mess up, they're caught in sin, and we're just like, ah, oh, gosh, just, I mean, I love you, but just don't get near me. You're dirty, and like, you're going to make the clean unclean if you come near me. And so if you could just get your stuff together, like clean up, the, you're covered in milk, like get that cleaned up, and then, and then you can come and hang out with me, maybe but I'm never giving you milk at my dinner table again. Like, that's okay, but there's this, there's this reality that, that, that very rarely do we see restoration happen. And so we shoot our wounded because we don't know what to do with them. And this is where this scripture gets messy. This will carry one another's burdens. What does that even look like? He says this in verse two. Carry each other's burdens. And in this way, you will fulfill the law of Christ. Like, what does he mean by that? 
What does it mean to, to, to carry one another's burdens to fulfill the law of Christ? What is the law of Christ? It's the law of love. John 13, 34, he says this, Jesus says, a new command I give you, love one another. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. So what Paul is getting at is this, that carrying one another's burdens is how we fulfill the law of Christ. The law of love. So what does this look like practically? Well, I, I struggle with it because he's like, he's so ambiguous about it. He doesn't give us like details about the guy's sin or what burden we're supposed to or not supposed to carry. He just says carry each other's burdens. What does he mean by burdens? Well, you can look it up. It means burdens. Burdens the burden. <laughs> essentially, essentially, he's saying this is something that is too heavy for one person to handle on their own. That's a burden. Something that's just too heavy to handle on your own. It could literally be anything. It could be financial. It could be meritable. It could be relationship. It could be a single mom that needs help. It could be making a meal for a family that's going through a, a health issue, a surgery. It could be just helping someone overcome an addiction. It could be from the smallest to the biggest. Carry one another's burdens. It seems kind of open-ended to me. And it leaves me feeling like, eh, I don't really know what I'm supposed to do. And then he says in verse 3, if anyone thinks that they are something when they're not, they deceive themselves. I think you read it correctly. He says, essentially, if you think that you're all that, you're deceptive. You're deceived. You're deceived. If you think that you're all that in a bag of chips, you're not seeing yourself correctly. Don't ever think that you are so far beyond being tempted yourself. I always get worried when I talk to people who are just like, oh man, yeah, like, that is so far. I mean, I, I'm not even, that's not even on my radar. I, I am so far from being tempted in that area of my life. The reality is that sometimes that temptation just hasn't been placed on the right platter in front of you. So just because you look at other, somebody else and you think, I just don't even understand how somebody could be tempted in this area of your life, don't think that's you. Don't think that you're beyond that. He says in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 12, so if you think you're standing firm, be careful that you don't fall. It's this idea that like, yeah, you're standing and, and things are going well, but be careful that, don't think that someone's not going to try to knock you off of that place where you are standing. Be careful that you don't fall. And what I've found, doing this whole like Christian life thing for, for quite a long time, what I find, and this is the ugly part of, of our own hearts, is that sins that we struggle with always look uglier on someone else, don't they? <laughs> the, the sins that you struggle with always are going to look uglier on someone else. It's interesting to me that people usually have the least amount of grace for someone else when they're struggling with the sin that they struggle with. It always looks uglier on somebody else. And I've said this before, you know, when, when we talk about this, this whole idea of carrying one another's burdens and, and living an authentic life, God is really about healing who you really are, not who you pretend to be. He wants us to just be honest with, with the reality of our own temptation, our own areas of weakness, because propping it up and wearing a mask doesn't help us at all, because God can't heal who you pretend that you are. He can only heal who you truly are. And then in verse 4, he says this, each one should test their own actions. Each one should test their own actions. I wrote this in your notes today, that this, don't be impressed with yourself. Test yourself. Don't be impressed with yourself. Have you ever, you ever been there before? You're like, I mean, I know that God is like, he gets all the glory, but it still has a little bit to do with me. Like, <laughs> I mean... I, I'm not, I wouldn't say that I'm impressed with myself, but I mean, have you checked out how blessed I am? Like, 
uh, there's, everything's going great. And like, I mean, I don't mean to look at you, but like you're certainly not as, as blessed as I am. And um, you're probably, you probably should like pray about it or, 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 or get with God or something because like, I got this all taken care of. Like I'm, I'm doing really good. I get impressed with myself. When everything's going well, we get impressed. And, 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 and Paul's like, at that moment, you just need to be aware to test your actions to test yourself. Where, where are you really, where is your heart at? Are you taking credit for that which God has done in your life? So the closer that you get to Jesus, the more that you start to see the blind spots in your life. Like when you're impressed with yourself, you don't care about blind spots because you're like on the highway of holiness, baby. You know, you're just cruising down the highway. You're just like, ha, ha. Hallelujah, everything's going great. I don't care about no blind spots. Why? Because I'm flying by everybody because they're all a bunch of losers, right? Like in this whole continuum of faith, like I'm, I'm winning. I am good at winning and thank you, Jesus. And so we just go. And, but the closer you get to Jesus, the more humble you become, the more you start to see the blind spots, the things that you're not necessarily noticing in your own life. And he continues in verse four. He says, they can take, uh, they can take uh, then they can take pride in themselves alone without comparing themselves to someone else. I wrote this in your notes, is this, that like God doesn't grade on the curve. Because I want this to be the way that it works. I, I kind of want to look at life like if these stairs were a continuum, we're like zero to 100. We would have down here at zero, we would have like... Um, like serial murderers, like just people that have done horrific things. Like that would be like zero or one. I'll give them a one. I don't know. You know, and so like you got this zero or one down here and then you go all the way down to 100 and maybe not quite 100, but maybe like a 99. You got like, I don't know. You got Billy Graham. You got Mother Teresa. You got these people that are just like, my goodness, like you're just so loving and God just working through you and it's amazing. And then there's me and I'm trying to jockey for like where I'm at. I'm like, hmm. I'm looking, and what I do is I'm looking to you, and I'm looking to you, and I'm saying, um, you're not doing quite so well. I mean, I'll pray for you. And so, like, you just stay there. And, like, and then this person, I'm like, oh, I'm just going to hang out with you. Maybe you'll screw up, and then I can switch spots. or You know what I mean? But, but we're kind of in this place where we're jockeying for this position as if there comes this, this continuum, and every single one of us will think, if we're Christians, we believe that we're going to heaven, and we still adopt this mindset. We think, like, well, as long as I'm here, I'm the cutoff for not going to hell. I'm the one. Like everybody else down there, I'm sorry that you, you screwed up last week, but you're going to hell because there's people that have to go and I'm gonna, I'll pray for you. Pray that, you know, see you later, never. <laughs> and, then, and then there's people like me and, and above that are going to heaven. And so we get into this mindset, this weird mindset that like there's still, even though there's this like Jesus saved us by grace. We have this like, well, I'm better, I'm, I'm gooder, I'm, I'm best. I'm comparing myself to other people. And Jesus just reminds us, he's like, guys, 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 we're not talking about good, better, best. We're talking about life or death. The Bible says that you were dead in your sin. I came that you might have life, life abundantly. Jesus came not so that we can continue a comparison game. He came to level the playing field, which means that Billy Graham and a serial murderer, and this is going to blow your mind, but are on the same playing field. Billy Graham can't do enough good things to be able to work his way into heaven, and certainly a person that's a one can't do enough good things to make up for the horrific things that they've done. We only find life through Christ. We only find it through Jesus. So it doesn't matter. All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. All of you have spilled milk. All of you. All of you have, have sinned, and, and some of you are caught in it right now. You're entangled in it. Even right now. But we're all in the same place. You're all brothers and sisters. That, 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 that your brothers and sisters are not your competition, and they're not your enemies. They're your family. So God doesn't grade on the curve. He leveled the playing field. So, I want to end with this last verse because I know it's been rough. I know that these, <clears throat> the scripture has been a, a difficult thing to, uh, to process. And I want to be real for a minute because 
the question that I have rolling around in the inside of me, and you probably do as well, is this realization of what do we do with people that abuse this? This whole carry one another's burdens. What do we do with the people that, that are just this bottomless pits of neediness? You may have people in your family that, like my goodness, you, it, it's like it is always need after need after need. What am I supposed to do with them? Am I just supposed to continue carrying all of their burdens for them? What are we supposed to do with the slackers? What are we supposed to do with the, the people? And maybe, maybe you get near them and you walk near them and all of a sudden you hear this giant sucking sound. And you're like, oh my gosh, get away from me. I need, they need something from you. Or they call you on the phone and you're like, oh my gosh, oh gosh, okay. And you're like, oh, I don't, I want, to, I don't want to talk to you. I don't want, you. And you try to walk on the other side of the street and you sit on the other side of the, of the auditorium because you just know that they're just this bottomless pit. It doesn't matter how much you, you carry, how much you try to take that burden, there's always more. And that's just real. Like, what do we do with this one another of like carry one another's burdens, period? Really? What do we do with people that take advantage of us? How are we supposed to do this? And I love how Paul ends in verse 5. It's a, it is so simple. He just says, for each one should carry their own load. Now, if you, if you just kind of read verse 2 and verse 5, there's like this oxymoron seemingly. Like, wait a minute. Paul, you just said that like I'm supposed to carry one another's burdens and then you said in verse 5, um, everybody has their own load to carry. Like, which one is it? Is it like, I got my own load, you got your own load, like good luck with that load. It looks a little heavy, but like I got nothing. I got, I'm carrying my own stuff and I don't have time for you or am I supposed to just be like this, this bleeding heart where I'm just like, just pack it on, just pack it on, I'll carry it all. You know, you need more, oh, here, I'll give you more, I'll give you more, I'll give you more, I'll give you more, and we'll just carry this thing together. What, is, what, what's, what's, what does this mean? How can he say both things at the same time? And it's important for you to realize that those two words are different that Paul uses. In verse 2, when he says, carry one another's burdens, he's talking about a burden, something that is too heavy to carry on your own. We all have those at times, things that are just too heavy for us. In verse 5, he says, everybody has to carry their own load, and that word has this essence of like a soldier's pack. You know, if you ever go like hiking or something, you got this pack and it, it's like everything that you need is on this pack. And, and every, every soldier has to carry their own load, has to carry their, their own pack. And, and I want you to catch this. If you don't get anything else today, this, this, this might set some people free. It's this. You can share a burden, but you can't carry their load. You are called to share one another's burdens, but you are not called to carry their load for them. You know, I have a, I have a friend who's a, a counselor, and I was going into a, a counseling situation, and uh, she said to me, she said, you know what, I have some wisdom for you. I said, great, I'm up for it. She said, don't work harder than they are. I thought, hmm. Don't work harder than they are. Wow. It's this reality of you're called to help carry one another's burdens, but, but, but they have a load to carry themselves, and make sure you're not working harder than they are to carry their own load. Like, you're responsible to carry the load that God has called you to carry. That's the beauty he gives each and every single one of them. I, I can't carry your load and you can't carry my load. Because why? Because I don't have your job, I don't have your family, I don't have your workplace, your neighborhood, your influence, your past, your unique story. That is, that's yours. God has given you a very specific load to carry where you have everything that you need for the purpose that God has set for you. But when I die... I'll have to answer for my load. And when you die, you'll have to answer for your load. 
I don't answer for yours and, and you won't answer for mine. I'll give an account for my load. So, share in one another's burdens. This is what God has called us to, but do not carry their load. And I love it. Don't work harder than they are. Hope that brings freedom, and I think it is crucial for us to understand this whole idea, this one another, of carry one another's burdens. It doesn't let us off the hook, but it gives us a realization and understanding for what it is that God has called us to and what he's not called us to. Why don't you stand with me? Let's not forget that that God's goal for every single person, every created being, is restoration, not condemnation. His, his heart for your uh, wayward son and daughter, his heart for you, his heart for that person that hurt you and offended you last year, his heart, his heart for every single person is restoration, not condemnation. He is the way maker, he makes a way where there seems to be no way. And what I would say to you, Christian, is may you never stand in the way of that and realize that, that you have a role, a distinct responsibility to help restoration happen in someone's life. It's this idea that the culture of the kingdom is where people are built up, not beat up. When we beat people up, we are literally pulling up the culture of hell over them. When we build people up, we are pulling down the culture of heaven over them. And the culture of the kingdom is where people are built up, not beat up. Colossians chapter 3 verse 12 says, therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourself with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Bear with each other and forgive one another if any of you has a grievance against someone. Forgive as the Lord forgave you. And over all these virtues, put on love, which binds them together in perfect unity. So I would love as we enter into this last worship song today, in light of this one another, in light of this whole idea of restoring one another and bearing one another's burdens, I wonder, are you able to, to see a brother or sister that is burdened? Is there anyone in your life that is drowning and you see it, but you're too cowardly to reach out and help? And that's what it is, right? Who is God calling you to? And maybe for some of you, like, do you need to be more serious about sin in your own life? Do you, maybe you need to, maybe you're entangled. Maybe you're like, man, I know what it means to be caught in sin. I'm entangled. I'm being overcome in this. I'm drowning in this. And maybe today is a day where you stop making excuses and start repenting and finding freedom in Jesus. That's what he has for us. Here's what I want you to know. You may be carrying a load that is too heavy for you to carry. You may be carrying a burden, maybe somebody else's burden, a burden of anxiety that maybe God never meant you to carry what it is that you're carrying. I love how he says it, and Jesus says in Matthew 11, he says, come to me, all who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. You see this? He's saying, I, 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 I take off the burden and give it to me, that burden that you're carrying, and I want to give you a load. He says, I'm gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy, and my burden is light. God's heart is all about restoring you. And so as we sing today, I just, the Lord just keeps 
really burdening me with this reality that like there are some of us in here that have a burden that you've been trying to carry that God never meant you to carry that is way too heavy for you to handle. You've been, you, you, you keep piling it on. You, you, you take on this. You take it on. This anxiety and this worry, these things that just continually to mount up. And you're this place where you're like, I need to lay this down and to trust that Jesus has this. Because it's, it's literally just killing me. And for maybe for some of you, maybe that burden is your past or guilt or shame of things that you've done in the past. You're like, but Pastor Russell, you, you don't understand. Like, this is what I've done. This is what I'm guilty of. This is the shame that keeps me up at night. Like, you don't understand the things that I've done. I'm, 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 down, I'm down here, maybe. And may I remind you, brother or sister, like, that Jesus, whom the Son has set free, is free indeed. He hasn't called you to live this continuum and comparison life. He's called you to live a life hard, running hard after him. So if God's working on you today, maybe there's an area of your life you just know that you just need to turn that over to him. Maybe it's a health diagnosis. Maybe it's a relationship or a marriage or something that is literally just, it's weighing you down. It's a burden that you just know God's saying, you need to leave that to me because I have the best return policy. It's better than L.L. Beans. It's better because why? Because you can take, every, you, 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 you don't take a, a messed up book bag and say, here, and then they say, oh, we can't have you with that one. We'll get you a new one. It means that I can take my messed up, bedraggled life and say, I, I have nothing to offer you but this. And he says, perfect. Let me take that and let me give you your load. And it's easy and my burden is light. I want to free you up today. So I pray right now as we sing today, God, if it, I pray you would draw people to yourself this morning. If they're in a place of, of really feeling like they need to, to give something over to you today, I pray that you would lead them, take them out of their seats to come up along front so that we have some prayer team that would love to come alongside and pray God into this situation. Pray God to trust. And maybe for someone this very first time of like, I just don't even know what this relationship with Jesus looks like. And I don't think that I'm even worthy of it because if I were to compare my, you're comparing yourself. And Jesus says, come to me all who are weary and heavy laden and I will give you rest. So Lord, I pray that you would draw people to yourself. Give us courage to step out and say, Jesus, I, I, I need you to take this. Lord, we ask you in Jesus' name.